Hi, I'm Emma Gannon and this is Control-Alt-Delete, the podcast with the same name as my book, where every week I interview different people who are in the creative industries who inspire me a lot with their work online. Today's guest is Ryan Holiday, who I have admired for so many years. I've just followed his work for a long time and just find everything that he talks about very timely, very topical and just kind of like on the pulse in general. He's a media strategist. He's the former director of marketing for American Apparel. He had that job when he was really young, I think around like 22, 23, which was incredibly impressive. And he was always writing on the side as well for so many publications. He's now the media columnist and editor at large for the New York Observer. And throughout his career, he's written for Forbes, Fast Company, Huffington Post, uh, Thought Catalogue, Medium, and, and just so many more. He writes a lot, and I find how prolific he is in his career really inspiring. So um, he's also the author of four books. Ryan's first book is Trust Me, I'm Lying, Confessions of a Media Manipulator, and was all about the sort of things that he would do during his PR career to get attention in sort of good and bad ways. He debuted on the Wall Street Journal bestseller list and then released his second book, Growth Hacker Marketing, which kind of shows how traditional marketing like billboards and press releases are no longer working and writes about all the things that you can do instead, like growth hacking. Um, So his third book is Obstacle is the Way and was Inc. Magazine's top 10 marketing books of 2014. I absolutely love that book. And the book has sold over 100,000 copies to date. So today on this podcast, I'm here to talk about Ryan's fourth book called Ego is the Enemy. It's all about how having a big ego is basically kind of could be a downfall and how to be a good person in the in the world we live in. I just hope you love this episode as much as I did talking to him. I think he's so clever and intelligent and I learned a lot from it. So hope you enjoy this and here it is. I guess my question to start off with is this like motivation that's so ongoing with you because I feel like you love your work and it's so obvious because I think it's really annoying when people ask other people how they have time to (laughs) to read or to write or to do anything because obviously you love it live and breathe it but is there a central motivation for you yeah I I think if I was being perfectly honest that the actual love for doing it is is a huge part and it I I wouldn't do it if I if I didn't enjoy it. But I I also and this is something I it sort of drove me to 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 write ego is I do have this sort of compulsion to do and I don't feel comfortable sitting still and not doing things mm. and so that it provided that that energy is channeled properly it can be very productive but it's not it's not exactly a recipe for personal happiness either because there are times where you can't do things and so this inability to to sit still i think is something i'm not the only one that has it but it's a it's an urge that you have to look at and examine or else it can take you to a it can take you to a dark place right it it can take yeah. you to a point where the only thing that has any meaning in your life is doing and that's that's not what I wanted, and so I I try to balance the fact that I, I I like what I do. I think I'm pretty good at it, and it comes relatively easy to me. With hey, am I doing this because it needs to be done, or am I doing this because the idea of of sitting here doing nothing makes me mildly uncomfortable? Mm-hmm. Would I be better to sit with that feeling and and process it, or you know, is it is it easier just to 
to walk to the computer and, and get lost in, in the work. Yeah, I've been thinking about this a lot, the, the difference between doing work because you love it versus distracting yourself from something else. So being busy for the sake of it. And I know that in the prologue, you talk about you got to a point where you thought maybe you were a workaholic, which is something that I think I have times where I'm like, okay, I'm really addicted to this. I love it. Yeah. I'm defensive and like, I love my work. So don't question what I'm doing. But then at the same time, how did you know that it got to a point where you actually had to say, oh, it's gone a bit too far? Yeah. And, and the, the weird thing about, you know, issues with work or work addiction is that it's sort of like a sex addiction or, a, or a, a, you know, food disorder and that you have to do this thing to live. Mm-hmm. And what's worse about it is that society rewards you uh, both financially and reputationally for the more that you do. No one's like, oh, that guy works really hard. He has a problem, right? Mm. <laughs> um, so, so like, for me, I find that it manifests itself in that, you know, let's say in a relationship, th- relationships are difficult. There's conflict, there's disagreement, there's, you know, complicated feelings. But work is, all, especially if you're good at it, work is always simple. And work is... I'm the master of the work, right? Like the mm. work's not uh, disagreeing with me and it's not, you know, uh, it, 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 it does what I want it to do by nature of the fact that I'm, I'm in charge of it, right? And mm-hmm. so I, find, I, I found that what can happen is that if personal things are hard for me or, you know, managing these things is hard for me, I can find myself turning to work because it's simple and straightforward and I'm in control there. And so... Mm-hmm. I just I noticed I noticed a pattern in my life when things would get hard or things would get complicated that all of a sudden a work crisis would happen and I realized that I was creating or seeking out those crises I was seeking out like I I found myself even even with this book you were asking me about how it came out so soon and it really hasn't come out that soon but I've committed already to like several other projects right mm-hmm. and I found it's like now I'm now I'm feeling like I don't know if I'm going to be able to do all of them. And it's like, maybe I should have thought about that before I signed up for all of them. And why did I sign up for all of them? I signed up for them because I I enjoy putting myself in those positions of stress and difficulty. And that's not necessarily what I want for my life, Mm. although I'm comfortable with it. And so I, I was just finding that I was putting myself in, putting myself in increasingly stressful and difficult situations work-wise not for any reason other than I I like needed the 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 high of it yeah almost like needing the purpose or needing people to want you in some way yeah especially if if you get a lot of validation out of the success or accomplishment of that thing right I think a lot of us if you weren't particularly appreciated as a child you can start to to substitute work as a proxy for that feeling of self-worth that's supposed to be innately taught to every child and so you can that I, I use the word purpose it's like hey this work is is my identity this work is what makes me feel like I have value so why would I say no when someone's offering to pay me to do some work and that again the, the, this is in some ways a bit of a first world problem I certainly understand that but it it's it's putting it, it was putting myself in a position where I was seeing myself go down a road that I knew did not end well. Yeah. It's so interesting to see all your books kind of like side by side because I guess when you were you were so young at the very beginning and, and achieving so much, it's almost like you had the chase and then you've, ha- you've had all of this a massive success. 
it's really interesting to read about how actually you're kind of in control of that. You you know how you want to be perceived and what you want to write about is is totally within your control. Yeah, look, I, I wouldn't define it as massive success, but I, I was certainly more successful earlier than I maybe anticipated. And I think one of the things that led to this book was the the understanding like, hey, like if I want to do this thing for the rest of my life, the pace that I'm on is not sustainable. And the choices that I'm making are not are not intelligent or efficient. And why am I making those decisions? It's because I'm sort of caught up in in what they say about me. I'm I'm caught up in in the inability to say no for fear that, you know, a better thing might not come along. And and that that's not, you know, I, I didn't want to be a 30-year-old burnout. Um, I wanted to write until I was 80 years old or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that that was a, a realization that, that hit home to me when I just found myself sort of having stressed, stretched everything I had to, uh, like, I'll, I'll give you, I'll, I'll sort of tell you this. I, I was, I was at a position, I was in a position like I never, I never quit anything. Like every, like I would work on one project or work for one person, and then I would just add another person in the mix. Like I just, I felt like I had an unlimited capacity for work and for commitment to things, and that nothing ever really suffered by me taking on an additional thing. And at a certain point, eventually, you know, around twenty-seven or so, probably. I realized like, oh, whoa, I do have limits and I've, mm. I've run into that brick wall here. Yeah. Um, I don't want to do this again. Uh, and, and some of that certainly um, made its way into the book. I think so many people are going to need this book. I was just thinking, oh, you know, you. You know that the rise of social media and um, documenting your life and your life mixing with work so much. I feel like millennials have this like merge going on where it's like, you know, personal brand and work surely like the validation everyone is seeking from social media is exactly what you're talking about in the book about the ego because every time someone likes a picture that your ego is getting rewarded yeah and you can get rewarded for things that aren't even real right like i mean uh there's been some interesting sort of like exposés of like models who have shown what their you know the difference between their life on instagram and their actual life (laughs) or you know what what people see on the outside is very different than how things actually are. So I think that's a big part of it. You know, now you can you can get credit for what you're going to do on social media, and I think that's a bit dangerous. And then I think I think the other thing that I've been lucky in this regard is I think a lot of these people that are sort of prey to these forces, we don't have a society which encourages the personal relationships that can balance some of these destructive traits out. So. Even as I was going through this crazy stuff and, and I, I took it too far, like I was still, I'm married now. I wasn't married at the time, but I've been with my now wife for almost a decade. And so through all this stuff, I, I always had the bedrock of a, of a, of a personal relationship at home um, that I, I feel bad for a lot of young people that are working these crazy hours or living this sort of social media competition. And then they have to go home and, you know, meet people on Tinder that I think that exacerbates it too. It's like I never had the part-time job of having to go out at night <laughs> and meet people. Um, and I, I think having a, a healthy personal relationship that you take meaning and satisfaction in and that's as valuable to you as your work is something that a lot of people miss. And, and in many ways, society discourages you from having. I hear this myth over and over again. That's like, you know, I don't want this relationship to hold me back in my career. It's like if you're doing it right, 
it should have the opposite effect. Yeah, I, I read that piece actually you wrote about um, how, you know, a good partner can actually be uh, like the best thing for your career. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly been certainly been the case for me. I, I, I know I would have like I talk about this in ego. It's like when you're young and there's all this pressure on you and and you're, you know, part of being ambitious is, is that you're a little bit crazy. Right. Um, you believe you can do this difficult thing without much evidence behind it. Um, part part of what prevented me from spinning off the planet as as many other people did or people that I saw did was that I I had you know some healthy relation and it doesn't have to be a a boyfriend or a girlfriend or or whatever it can be you know maybe you actually have a healthy relationship with your parents or it's a grandparent or, or whatever but the idea of of being healthy both professionally and personally is I think somewhat underrated Mm. And also that um, balance between public and private, especially with social media, because I feel like oh you're so you're like I can read all your work and feel so um, into what you're doing. And obviously, you come on podcasts and you talk about your life and stuff like that. But actually, I sense that you're really private. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I try to be. Um, I, I try to be. I think. Yeah, I think it's interesting. It's like uh, you know, you you feel like you know everything about people from social media. Like mm-hmm. I, I have a friend. And I've noticed that whenever they're going through trouble in their relationship, they tend to post a lot of positive photos like on social media about that relationship. Mm. So it's like I know that they're about to split up and then they're posting these like loving photos on on the Internet. And I know I know personally they're just trying to reassure themselves and they're totally allowed to do that. But it's interesting if you think about the effect that's having on other people because other people don't know that. Right. And so it can create this sort of insecurity or this false reality that other people um, that other people live in. And, and I think that's very intimidating and scary to people. And so I've tried to I've tried to talk about the difficult things in my life and, you know, what I'm going through, but also not use social media as a as an artificial way to relate and connect with people, because I, I feel like the result of that is usually a, a, a bit of a delusion. Yeah. And I guess that what I really loved about the book as well is how um, it's talking about a relationship with yourself more than anything. So actually, you you shouldn't really lie to yourself by posting things that are jarring with your real life, because surely that's damaging, too. Yeah, yeah. You you, uh, there's a wonderful book called Virtually You, which was written by some doctor that I read a couple of years ago. And he was talking about how uh, when we create these second selves for our lives, for ourselves on the Internet, we think like, oh, I know the distinction. I know this is me pretending. This is me marketing. You know, this is me uh, building my personal brand. But in reality, that distinction is very difficult to maintain. Mm-hmm. And we tend to gravitate towards whichever the most positive one is or whichever one we wish is true. And so all of a sudden you find yourself living in, a, in an imagined future rather than the the world you would actually inhabit. And that makes it hard for you to do the things you need to do to make the reality that you want. It's so fascinating that you bring all these like old kind of theories to the modern day, because I love that, you, you know, obviously you talk about a lot about stoic philosophy. A lot of your work is based on, on all of that from back in the day. Yeah, I mean, back in the day for <laughs> me wasn't that long ago. But uh, I was... I was 19 years old. I went to a conference in um, Los Angeles 
And I don't think he's as much of an international figure, but Dr. Drew was there. And Dr. Drew was famous in the U.S. He had a show called Love Line, um, which was, I think, a lot of people in my generation grew up listening to like late at night. Um, he was just, he's just a, a really smart, sort of empathetic, caring guy. And, and he was talking at this conference. And afterwards, I asked him, I was like, hey, you know, what, what are you reading? What would you recommend someone like me read? And it was a habit I picked up. I just asked lots of people that question. And he was like, oh, I'm reading this stoic. His name is Epictetus. You might like it. Um, and I thought, okay, I'll, I'll try that. And I, I went and I, I bought it. And I bought Marcus Aurelius too. And I, I read Marcus Aurelius first. Um, it was what Tyler Cowan calls a quake book. It just sort of shook all the things that I thought that I knew about the world, which were not much, you know, at, at 18 or 19. But it, it, it's, it's a philosophy that's designed for people who are going through exactly what we're going through, which is, hey, who am I? What's the meaning of life? You know, how do I deal with my temper? What do I do when things are hard? You know, it, really practical, normal questions that I think society used to help people with, but has stopped. And I was just utterly fascinated with it. And, and it, it very much influenced my writing style and my, my worldview. And it, it's sort of been a thread that's gone through my work, my work since then. It's amazing because I feel sometimes um, online there's so many things, there's so many articles and so many like think pieces and there's so much that I, mm -hmm. I, get, I get confused in what I think half the time and I have to like take myself away and be like, what do I actually think? But in the book you say that um, you've actually, you've got a tattoo of both those yeah. things. And I love that you must have read that and just known that you, you were into that, you know, those theories. I mean, they're obviously, they're not exactly controversial in a way because they make total sense. But how, do you, how did you sort of feel like, you know, confident in your beliefs at that age? So, so what's so interesting about Stoicism is that they use the second person a lot because they were writing to themselves. So he's saying, like Marcus Aurelius will say, like, you know, you are afraid of this because or, you know, when you have trouble waking up. I remember there's this one in, in book five. It's one of my favorite passages in Marcus Aurelius. He's saying, you know, when you have trouble waking up in the morning and you want to stay in bed, um, you have to remind yourself, you know, that, that you've got a job to do and, and that this is important and that if you really loved what you were doing, it wouldn't be hard for you to get up out of bed. And, and so I was like, it, you read it and, and it's it's and first off the translations are very critical i like gregory hayes um for the modern library penguin has a pretty good translation of marcus Aurelius. but but you read this and you're like wow he's talking to me how could he mm -hmm. how could two thousand years ago the emperor of rome and talking to me it been talking in such a way that a college student who is also having trouble getting out of bed because they're depressed or they don't want to go to class can feel is written just for them that's crazy and i mean it turns out that he wasn't he's not writing it to you he was writing it to himself um and so it's this very authentic special form of of writing and philosophy that isn't really seen anywhere else so so that that's why it just sort of hit me like a ton of bricks and then it it just happened to be i think a formula that lined up well with my personality of sort of you know Look, you're on your own. You got to take responsibility for this. You don't control what happens to you. You control how you respond. I just sort of took a lot from from what they were actually saying. But I I think first and foremost, it's the it's the style and approach that was so refreshing compared to you know 
most of the crap that's shoved down your throat at that age. Yeah, well, that, that's so interesting. Do you think everyone should be reading and, and, and kind of educating themselves in this stuff? Well, I guess I, I, I don't see the harm, right? Mm. I don't think anyone's going to be hurt by it. I, I think generally you've got to be responsible for your own education. Mm. And I, I think I like that Mark Twain line about the distinction between schooling and education. So it's like I was going to college at the time and I was getting a lot out of it, but I also... I wasn't learning how to be a person. I was learning how to, you know, I was learning uh, theoretical constructs and concepts. And so I think philosophy and the, the reading you should be doing on your own is, is who do I want to be? What kind of life do I want to live? What, what, what's my philosophy for living? Um, and, and, I think everyone benefits from that. And this I think the earlier you engage in that pursuit, the more impact it's going to have in your life. Obviously, um it's better it's better to get the directions before you before you leave the house than it is when you're already on the road. Yeah. Another another thing I was thinking whilst reading the book is um obviously the ego is is framed negatively and I guess that that's for a reason because it can drive dark things. But then for example, in like Big Magic um, by Elizabeth Gilbert, she writes about entitlement in a positive way, kind of feeling like in the creative world, you are entitled to do that project because you are good enough and you are interesting and you are important. Do you think there's a kind of line there? I don't like the word entitlement, but I, I do think there's a distinction between ego and confidence, right? Yeah. Confidence is a reasonable extrapolation. So it sounds like that's what Gilbert is saying is that, hey, um, you are good enough. Think about all the work that you've done. Think about the skills that you have. I, I, I find that that's essential to doing something, right? And in many ways, people are egotistically convinced of their own inferiority, right? They're so self-absorbed mm. that they think that I'm the worst. No one likes me, you know, when, when really the world is much closer to indifferent and they're, they're just as good as anyone else. So I, 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 I make that distinction. I think ego is what you want to be true confidence is what is true or what is reasonably extrapolated from you know your work and your energy it's like pride is generally bad but if your pride is in the fact that you've done you've put in the hours i suppose that's fine yeah because most of the time people aren't actually looking at what you're doing you know people don't really care that much about what other people are doing in a sense so to get obsessed with um you know one bad review for example of a book could be yeah. taking things way too far because no one's gonna you know you're the only one really that's read it and cared about it yeah or when you're young a lot of people are like oh how did you do this when you're so young and it's like it was literally never an issue like nobody cares right and so i think a lot of young people are intimidated by that idea like are they gonna are they gonna care that i'm only 22 and it's like the vast majority of the time they just care if you can do the work yeah. and they're too busy thinking about themselves to give a crap about you and that's a very freeing realization i think yes definitely did you have any ageism at any point during your like you know the having the very senior job at the at the very young age in a weird way it was the opposite of effect like people were gave me the benefit of the doubt or were impressed that i was young and and so in many ways i think it was more of an advantage than a disadvantage but yeah look certainly there were people who 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 didn't who didn't think I, I was good enough or or were suspicious of me, but I I always I always tried to find the benefit of that, which is that the expectations were low, you know, <laughs> um, and so I was it was easy to finally impress them, and once they were impressed, 
you know, the fact that they doubted me once worked to my advantage. So I, I just tried to focus on doing a really good job. And also, it, you know, it's, this is obviously something that minorities have to go through more than like white, white dudes have to. But when people doubt you, it's, it's really just a motivation to be twice as good. And if you can be twice as good, if you can address their concerns or their, their doubts in advance and meet them, they are, you're just eliminating the room for them to object for, to your existence. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Cause I, I mean, I've, I'm 26 and I've, I've just written something and I, I'm getting a few comments that are just like, how can you write a nonfiction book at that age? Um, but everything's obviously relative, isn't it? To your experience. And, and from a media perspective, it's an advantage because most 26 year olds don't write books. And so they get to, like you know you can focus on the fact you can focus on the parts where disadvantages you or you can focus on hey this is unique and special and it makes me stand out and and I think generally I mean this is what the Stoics talk about is the distinction between what you control and you don't control and 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 you know sort of what the advantages are in a situation versus the disadvantages and and generally every situation has a has a bit of both yeah and and the other bit in the book which really resonated with me is um, the bit about kind of having role models who, who might let you down in some way or they're not sort of perfect because yeah. I have so many people who I've, yeah, just totally followed everything they've done and I just think they're amazing and I think that, like, they can do no wrong and they're just perfect human beings and obviously no one is. And then you sort of realise that actually you kind of have to look a bit more inward because your problems can't get solved by other people. Do you yeah. have do you, do you have different role models now, or, or have you learned to just adjust? Yeah, I mean, look, I think part of it is is you know you can't make these people your parents. Uh, their parents are the only ones who really had any real obligation to you, you know. And if you make them your parents, if you build them up into being this thing where they can let you down, that's more on you than it is on them. Because um, chances are they haven't changed. It's just your expectations have changed. But yeah, I've, I mean, uh, I, the realization for me was like, okay, what happens when you know you get you get sort of selected by these people who are your role models, and they, and they say you have promise, you're special, you're great, we're going to invest in you. What happens when those people destroy themselves or do something really stupid? Um, and, and destructive as I as as I witnessed happen a couple times over the last few years, all of a sudden you're like, wait, were they wrong about me? Were they wrong about everything? Am I am I like them? Are we both equally crazy? Am I going to end up like they did? That that was the hard part for me was was you know watching the destruction of say American Apparel and going you know the the person that I admired who made this company is also the person who oversaw that happen and mm. what does that say about all the conversations that we had and all of the things that I learned and I think I realized you got to stop looking externally for this validation you, you ultimately have to find it in yourself and you have to find it in 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 the work and in doing the right thing not in the approval of other people it's cool that you had all that experience i guess that you could watch it all unfold and then kind of quite objectively think i don't, I don't know if i'm kind of into what they're doing yeah i mean i don't know how objective it was at the time it was mm. it was more the sort of this is what you know therapy is for and this is what uh you know sort of late night i can't sleep what is happening moments 
but I don't know. It, it, it was very, it was very hard. You, you, you want to be like someone and then you realize, oh, whoa, I don't want to be anything like this person. Yeah. That, that's a, a whiplash that was, that was quite tough. Yeah. yeah, I love that you describe it as that. I actually like paused on that bit when you said it was like whiplash because it's um, you can go down a road of thinking that you're like certain about something. So it's, uh, that's happened to me, and then I've had to kind of realize that I need to like backtrack a bit. Yeah, look, I think a lot of it. I, I always again try to focus on what I did, you know, rather than what the other people did. But I think what I did was I I projected onto these people because they were they they were saying nice things about me. Or you know, I I really coveted their support and approval. I also heightened the significance of that. So you know, I I was not see like again. It's like they didn't change. I my my understanding or perception of them just became more balanced over time, mm-hmm. and I could have saved myself some heartache and trouble if I'd been a bit more critical and. Not critical, but if I'd been a bit more aware and balanced in my estimations and the place that I put these people in my life, would have that would have saved me trouble. Yeah. And then I had just one final question. Um, right. This has gone so quickly. I love a lot of your articles around how to sort of like manage your time and sort of protect you know, yeah. the, the energy that you have and, and not just kind of doing things for the sake of it. I guess it ties in with um, the book. But have you learned anything recently about that? Because I know that you wrote something about how, you know, you shouldn't go for coffees that will take up like half the day <laughs> just like for a potential opportunity. But are you still very strict with kind of what you say yes and no to? And how, do, how does that work now? I'm not very strict. I need to be strict. Like I need to be more strict or I'm working on it, right? Like I think... Uh, I've, this goes to what we were talking about earlier, but it's, it's, uh, very gratifying to say yes. It's very scary to say no, Mm. because when you're saying no, at least from where I sit, when you're saying no, you're saying something better will come along essentially. Right. Yeah. And there's a certain amount of confidence required to do that. And I, I struggle with that. Um, I think it's easy to, you know, uh, there's a Richard Branson line where he says, like, opportunities are like buses. There's always another one coming around. It's very easy to say. It's much harder to do when you actually have to turn down an opportunity, uh, especially one that, that that's going to make money. So I tried to balance my time for a couple reasons. One, because I was just stretching myself too thin. But also it's like, you know, you make commitments to people or to a business or to yourself you're violating that commitment by saying yes to other things that take away from that. And so I've, I've had to, you know, what's that? There's that famous joke of like, like, sorry, honey, I can't come to bed. Like someone's wrong on the internet. There's like a New Yorker cartoon. You know, you find yourself getting consumed with like crap on the internet or emails from people or things that are going on on Twitter. And these things come at the expense of your actual life and your, your real work. It's like, Okay, if I spend an hour going to coffee to discuss some thing that I don't even actually want to do, that's an hour that's being taken away from my writing or that's an hour that's just taken away from personal time. And so you have to when you're young and you haven't done anything yet, you have, you know, the you have more free time than you have occupied time. But as you accomplish things, that ratio switches. 
And if you don't switch your filter accordingly, you end up overcommitting and letting both yourself and other people down, I think. Yeah. Do you Are you one of those people who has like apps that block the internet when you're working or are you quite good at just the willpower behind not, not doing I'm, it? I'm pretty good. I, I don't use those tools. I, 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 but I tend to find that's because I'm not smart enough to figure out how they work <laughs> and that they're, they make things more complicated than less complicated. I think like ultimately willpower is easier. Yeah. Um, but I, I try, I try to, to schedule. So it's, you know, I'm, I'm writing in the morning and I'm writing until I get this thing done. And then the rest of the day is mine you know, to do the, the, the administrative things on my to-do list. But as long as I can check these important things off, that's what matters. And then, you know, one of the benefits of, you know, I live in Texas and I live outside Austin. I don't live in the city is that I've tried to create a life and a, a sort of pattern of habits that make it easier to say no to things or that automatically say no for me. So it's like, if so-and-so is having a last-minute party in San Francisco, they're, they're not even going to invite me because I don't live there, you know? I think where you choose to live and how you structure your life is very important creatively. Mm, that's Yeah, that's so interesting. It's like natural boundaries. You just It's easier to sort of get on with the work. Yeah, I, I mean, I, when I lived in New York, I found it very difficult. I felt like there was always something I was... I felt guilty saying no all the time. I don't feel guilty that I'm not at a party in Los Angeles when I live in Texas, because like, it would be absurd. Like, yeah. and, and, and in many ways, it's a filter, right? It's like, for really important things, obviously, I'll get on a plane and I'll fly there. But like, it has to be important, like, to justify doing that. And so, you know, in, in a way that an addict might, you know, not go to bars very often, I, I've tried to sort of structure my life in a similar way. Yeah. Amazing. Thank you so much. Um, no, this was awesome. I, I, I really, really love the book. I think it's so relevant to now and it's also really timeless. So thank you so much. Thanks for talking awesome. to me. All right. Bye. Bye. Bye.